it's 12, so we'll get started. Uh, just a few announcements. Next week, we will not have cloaking because it's fall break. But the following week, we'll have Zach Froelich from Auburn University. Um, and so if you would, we're going to start scheduling meetings with him. So if you're interested in meeting with him, let us know and we can get that sorted. We'll also send out an email probably. Um, or does anyone else have a friend? Yeah, I do have an announcement. And that is that Alan Baruska, um will be giving a seminar during fall break uh, because he's coming in on Friday to get an alumni award. But Alan um, was a PhD student with me, but he did his entire career uh, in Latin America um, looking at uh, integrated pest management and transgenic crops. And he uh, most recently was in Rome uh, working on fall armyworm and whether BT crops could be useful or not. And he'll be talking about that. He's now at Michigan State University in there. Uh, international program. So if anybody is interested in international stuff, you might want to consider. I can second that he's a nice person to talk to. Um because we did the Iger he came to the Iger. Yes, right. He actually was one of the instructors on one of the Iger yeah. courses. Um okay so this is Zach he'll be talking about labeling food risk and lifestyle politics. And then again another plug for the professional development workshop which will be on October 20th. And it'll be one about expanding networks. So I think that will be uh, the last one was really good. Uh, we got positive feedback, so I think this one will also be really good. And with that, I'll let Eric come up and do our introductions for our speaker. All right. Welcome, everybody. My name is Eric, and I am uh, introducing our speakers today. I'm really excited about this talk today. Um, our speaker today is Dr. Amor Amorish Yogo. Uh, he's currently a postdoc in Dr. Max Scott's lab here at NC State. Before that, he received his uh, PhD from Banaras uh, Hindu University, where he worked on uh, mitochondrial function and tumor uh, suppression uh, using a model species of uh, the Drosophila. Uh, right now, he's working on um, looking at genetic engineering strategies, which includes gene drive, which we'll be talking about today, uh, for managing agriculture pests, which is really uh, relevant to this group and many people uh, in this community. So without further ado, the floor is yours. Thanks, Eric. Thank you, everyone, for being here and those who are joining on Zoom. So before going to the presentation, I would like to thank uh, Jen and Don, so he's not here for uh, everything. And uh, of course, I'm thankful to the Genetic Engineering Society for giving me this platform and invitation to present my work. <laughs> so from the title, you can um, get idea that I'm going to talk about the use of gene drive system in agricultural pest control. The talk in the sites are moving on Zoom, I think, right? Yes. So the talk overview is like, uh, first I will go over a brief introduction about agriculture paste and use of uh, genetic control system. 
and then development of CRISPR-Cas9 based gene drives in spotted Drosophila, more focused, and then challenges in the gene drive development and its application. So there is a there is a wide range of uh, agricultural pests from microbial pathogen to rodents. But my focus will be here on the insect pests. And insect pests or these agricultural pests have long been a threat to uh, agricultural crop production and livestock as well. And uh, as per um, Food and Agriculture Organization report, uh, about 20 to 40% of uh, global crop production lost to these pests annually. So you can imagine how big loss it is at global scale. And that, that is a big loss uh, in the terms of uh, revenue as well. So these agricultural pests have impact on our both, like food as well as on the finance. So we really need to have some systems to control these pests. And in that direction, uh, with Professor Max Scott Lab, uh, I have been working on the development of gene drive system to particularly focus on this uh, agricultural pest Drosophila uh, suji. It's a fruit fly, and it's a pet for the uh, soft skin fruits like cherries, berries. Drosophila suji is more commonly known as spotted in Drosophila. You can see that they are spot and they are male fly uh, in the picture. Uh, and they're females. And, and, and this, this pest is actually native to Southeast Asian country and it is uh, invasive in the United States. And um, their female has a very strong oviposter and they use it to puncture the skin of soft skin fruit and lay their eggs inside fruit where this development happens. And you can see in the picture that those uh, fruit, uh, damaged fruits have developing larvae and pupae inside. In that way, it damages the fruits very badly and has a huge impact on. Uh, food industry and food production and uh, in, uh, affecting the farmers and those who are working on growing the fruits. And this this uh, paste is um, this paste fly uh, can can lay the females can lay up to three hundred eggs in their lifespan, and and it it can have uh, three to sixteen generations in a year. And and you, and you can know that the fruit fly those are native to United States are has just uh, usually one one generation in a year. So, so this has a very competitive and uh, can uh, establish itself uh, and can damage a lot of producing that lot of frozen uh, in, the, in the given time period. And if you look at the global distribution, uh, this invasive pest uh, uh, first report in the United States uh, mainland uh, in California was reported around 2008. And at the same time, uh, its invasion was reported in the Europe as well. And, uh, since then and today, it has spread to almost every state in the United States. So it's very fast growing and very uh, adaptable. Uh, and you can see from the distribution, like it's coming from the uh, Southeast Asian countries to, to this much of this far and have a very uh, uh, distributing all over the world. So it, it's sort of like how adaptable this space is uh, to the different uh, environmental and climate conditions. So the, the reason for its um, uh, adaptability to this is uh, plasticity, like uh, morphological plasticity. It can adopt itself in the different uh, conditions, uh, like weather conditions, and uh, it's a choice for different uh, food variety. So uh, that's how it's uh, able to establish itself uh, in, in different uh, geographical locations and becoming major based these days in the Europe and the industry. So we really need a control system for this based along with others. And the current 
control system is mostly reliant on the use of pesticides. Though there are many um, uh, pest control methods and strategies are there, but they have their own limitations and benefits, of course. But uh, um, but today's the all all uh, fruit growers are fruit growers are mainly dependent on the chemicals. And you can see here from data uh, from FAO that in the in the last years, like from 90s to 20, last 2021, there is a constant increase in the demand of uh, pesticides. And uh, in year 2021, around 3.5 million metric ton of pesticides have been used to, to protect these crops uh, at global scale. So, so it's, and even we know that these pesticides are not good for either for the environment or for our for human health. But, but still, we are using them and because they are several reasons for that. And uh, so that's how we really need some uh, environmental safe and effective method to, to control this space. And in that direction, a biological control system, more specifically the genetic biocontrol system, could be a better choice to be uh, to have a safe uh, environmental safe and eco-friendly system. So biological system usually in, in classical biological system, if I say about it depends on the use of natural parasites, unnatural predators or parasites uh, of the pest. But in the genetically engineering control uh, system or genetic biological system, we use the paste uh, that uh, genetically engineer the paste itself, uh, or we use the uh, their natural uh, genotype uh, incompatible variants to control these pests. So, but but most focus might would be here is about the genetically engineered uh, system to regulate these pests than than using their natural variants. So one of the classical example for the genetic biocontrol system was sterile insect technology. And this technology is eco-friendly and has been used successfully to control the eradication of uh, uh, this in the United States uh, long ago, and it has a long history. Uh, and in this technology, we use the um, sterile males and the, we get male sterilized using radiation, the gamma radiation. And after releasing a large number of these sterilized males in the wild population, you can see that these males will compete with the wild type males, and in that way, it can reduce the population. And if you keep releasing these males, like multiple releases, it can go to extinction of the population as well. But the limitation is this: this uh, technology needs uh, needs a lot of insect to, to be released, and making them sterile itself is a laborious job, and and sorting them. And even though this technology is being used to control uh, cutting moth or medicalite um, at a good scale, and um, and um, other other pests as well uh, at, um, worldwide. So, but even um, and availability of this technology and their limitations, uh, more genetically uh, engineered uh, systems have been designed and developed at large scale, but uh, those systems have not been tested in the field. And those systems like crystal um, based uh, sterile technique, like precision guided uh, sterile insect technology, or a conditional female system that has been developed in our lab. Uh, those systems allow like uh, to to reduce the number of uh, required uh, males to release uh, compared to the sterile technology. So they can give some uh, advantage over the classical one. But still, though, though these techniques are self limiting and they need lot lot number of fly males to release. So so they have still some limitations. So to go further to 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 get rid of such limitations, the other technology that we can use is the gene drive. 
to, to make the system sustainable. So if you define the gene drives, gene drive can be defined as a phenomena of biased gene frequency of any given genetic element throughout the population at a very high rate than the normal modifications or normal inheritance. So if you look at the picture here in the that to have a genetic modification that has no gene drive uh, capability or it has no gene drive property, it will follow the normal Mendelian pattern of inheritance and it will go, the chances of going into the progeny will be 50% from, from the diploid cells. And in that way, it, it, will, it, it will go into the progenies, but uh, in the offspring and in the population, it will remain, it will be carried by just a fraction of population. And it's, it's not going to be, uh, um, increase in the size in the in their population in the number and if any fitness cost is associated with uh, these modification and if they are present at the low frequency in the population there is high chance that they, they will get extinct very quickly unlike gene drive system where these modification have a gene drive property they can they can bias uh, their inheritance so they usually don't follow the the classical mendelian pattern of inheritance and they sold very high rate of inheritance in, in the population and it can quickly spread throughout the population in a given period of time. So, so even if they are present at a small frequency, there is high chance that they can get uh, to the uh, population in a very high number and increase their population. So this system, given that property of their quick spread in the population, we can exploit the system to design, a uh, system to, to control pests or to modify the insect that way. The only limitation with this system is you can see like it, it follows the uh, vertical transmission. So it is possible to design gene drives for the uh, insects, those are uh, sexually reproduced. So there will be a problem with the insects or the, those pests which have uh, ability to reproduce asexually. So in, in that case, it will be a, a major limitations with the user gene drive system. Uh, like uh, like aphids are they are they can go for asexual reproduction. So we can gene drive in such cases could be So if you look at the timeline of gene drive, gene drive is not something new. It has a long history, and uh, and from time to time, uh, people have proposed to use such uh, systems to to control the insect pests or or or, or any uh, harmful insects. So. Gene drives can be divided as like natural gene drives. So there are natural elements already in the population that showed their bias inheritance. So there are suggestions like we can exploit those system, natural system, to design our gene drive in our favor. And so such natural, natural, natural gene drives can be like your um, transposable elements. They both also very um, biased inheritance and your T haplotype system and mice, such, such kind of system. And the uh, use of transposable element was, was around 1992. Uh, but uh, there are another, another system called homing in the nucleated genes. Uh, that those system can also be used to design, to design a gene drive. And the idea of design, uh, designing gene drive for our population control was proposed by Austin Bird in around 2003. And that was homing in the nucleated based and uh, to, to convert uh, based. And using this uh, homing endonuclease system, uh, systems were designed in the melanogaster uh, and mosquito as well. But given the limitations of using this technology, like the homing endonucleases or other uh, genomic technology like telin or megalonucleases, it's not very feasible to to make the transgenics using them, and that's why they limit the, the their reach. Um, 
So, but after the CRISPR technology came and its first demonstration demonstration in eukaryotic system around 2013, um, it got a very uh, good attention and uh, around two, uh, in 2014, uh, Israel proposed the use of CRISPR system in designing CRISPR-based gene drive. And, and just following year, in 2015, we got a successful gene drive in mosquito and, and it's a demonstration, first demonstration in Milano-Western uh, targeting the gene. Uh, and that was as like mutagenic uh, chain reaction in form of that. And after two, 2014 and 15, uh, and uh, making the use of CRISPR system and its uh, technical feasibility to use uh, to design transgenics, uh, you can see like how much increase from the publications coming in this field of uh, gene drive system and uh, for pest control or for other purpose got a very uh, increase and uh, very, very uh, encouraging to, to work in this system, and they are very uh, getting getting uh, more and more uh, knowledge in this area. So, if you come to the use of gene drive, gene drive can be used either for population suppression or it can be for the population modification, replacing the whole population with their new, new uh, purpose. So when you are designing a gene drive for population suppression, usually we target the genes that are responsible for female fertility or the development of females. Because uh, females are the ones which uh, majorly contribute in the population growth. So if you are targeting females and reducing their uh, number, population will gonna decrease eventually. The modification system would be good where uh, your insect is not a direct problem, but it's carrying a pathogen inside. So if you, if you modify that uh, vector, so that it will not be able to carry further uh, the pathogens. So modification system could be good in that case. But with this protein lab, population suppression would be the better choice. So how CRISPR-Cas9 system can be used in, in designing a gene drive? So you know that CRISPR-Cas9 is actually derived from a bacterial immune system. And uh, it has two components, one called guide RNA to guide the endonuclease uh, to induce the double strand break in the DNA uh, or, or break in the DNA. So the guide RNA guided endonuclease that is Cas9 uh, and one component Cas9 and the other component is guide RNA. So these two components are essential to, to, to edit um, any genome. And the good thing is the, this Cas9 is won't work if there is no guide, uh, guide RNA. So these two components should be together to work. So once the uh, guide RNA, and guide RNA can be designed for your target. Like if you want to, where you want to edit in the genome, you can design guide RNA for that position. Uh, there are some other uh, things required for that, but uh, just in short, we can design for the pre-circuit target and, and place the, the Cas9 to that place to induce double strain break and then induce the desired mutations at that site. So in, in design of uh, gene drive system, we, we utilize the homology data repair pathway. So once the break uh, created in the DNA, it goes for the repair. And repair can happen either, uh, there are multiple pathways for our systems for the repairing. And uh, it depends on the cell which pathway it's going to take. And uh, it could be the end joining pathway or homology data repair. So in the design of gene drive, we, we rely on the, uh, on the homology directed pathway and end running pathway can be mutations or traces as well for the gene drive. So it, it's a, a problematic for the gene drive research, like gene drive um, development. 
So to design a gene drive, as I said, minimum component is Cas9 and guide RNA. So these Cas9 and uh, Cas9 and guide RNA should come together, uh, just opposite to the, your target site, so that Cas9 and guide RNA will come at that place and it can induce break and go repair. And in that way, if it's going for the omari repair, it can copy the whole system uh, to that target. And if it's happening every time in the germ cells, your all gametes which are coming will carry this uh, mutant in every gamete. So if this event is happening in the germ cells, you can see the germ cell that is initially heterozygous for this component, having one uh, guide uh, drive components, Cas9 and guide RNA, present opposite to the opposite chromosome to that, uh, that has the target. When guide RNA and Cas9 expressed come together, recognize the target and induce the double strand break. And that if that break undergoes homozygote repair, it can copy the whole thing and make the heterozygous uh, germ cells to homozygous. And that copying event or the integration of this type um, uh, components we call homing. So if it, it got uh, integrated, so it, it will make the homozygous cells. So any any uh, gamete coming from those cells will carry the copy every time of this type um, construct. So so you can you can place other cargo along with this minimum component to to design your gene drive for different purposes, for population suppression or population modification. So if you look there, if it is going through homozygote repair, as I said, it become homozygous. So it will follow the gene drive uh, event and it will keep the spreading of your modified gene component to the population. But if that cut is going repaired by end joining pathway, it can, it can change the recognition site. And in that way, it create a problem for the guide RNA, gas 9 binding and cutting. So it can stop the reaction further in the coming generations. Uh, if if those those mutations are functional, so they will also going to spread in the population parallel, and that that create the problem in the gene drive spread. So based on the component assembly, gene drive can be can be two channel category like all in one that we call full drive, where all components of CRISPR like guide RNA, S9, and other cargoes are linked together. And the other approach could be putting them separate. Like So that this drive, like putting separate, we call them split drive. So we are splitting the uh, genetic components, like Cas9 present on the locus A, are at very distance from the guide RNA position, and from the target position. So in this case, if your guide RNA and Cas9 comes, recognize the target and induce the break, and, and if that breaks undergoes homogeneity repair, it will copy the whole system over here. So all, all your design cassette or the drive construct will propagate to, to all together. So it will show you a um, all together propagation in the population and it will kind of a very sustained system, uh, self-sustaining uh, and it will keep propagating if, if there is no mutation in the years. But with the split drive system, the, the drive will only happen when Cas9 is also Running together, uh, and but Cas9 is present at locus A, and that has no uh, recognition site opposite to to that site. So it's not going to show you the drive event, but the drive event will happen only for the locus B that has placed at the recognized target. So so in that case, what will happen if Cas9 is there? Your guide RNA and cargo component will propagate uh, following the gene drive uh, events, but Cas9 
since it is present at another location, it is, it is not has the gene drive property, it will go like normal Mendelian uh, pattern of the inheritance. So, gene drive, uh, Cas9 over here in the gene drive system will always work as a limiting factor. So, Cas9 will limit the propagation of your other genetic components. So, it, in that way, it gives you some kind of regulation over the, over the gene drive system. So, even if something happens, your insecure release could not be that much problematic compared to the all-in or full drive system. So, so that system would be a kind of self-limiting as well. But here, this system is self-sustaining. So when it comes to design a gene drive system for population separation, usually we look for the target, like which target would be suitable. And based on the studies so far, it looks like the, the target which are um, in uh, the target genes are those which are involved in the sex determination or sexual differentiation in the insects. And the good thing is these uh, uh, sexual uh, determination genes are very highly conserved in the in insect species or across the species. So, and, and more importantly, the bottom, uh, the downstream candidates are more, more conserved. So that those candidates could be a good target in the development of gene drive system. So targeting these downstream candidates like double sex and uh, tra gene drive system has been designed and developed. And we have developed the gene drive that targets double sex gene and similarly to the gene drive initially developed in mosquito, also target the double sex. And if you look at the picture, uh, those where homing gene drives have been demonstrated, it's coming from the model organism like Drosophila melanogaster and some agricultural pests as well as in the disease vectors. So now it's getting the pace and more, more research and more development is happening in the homing gene drive system. But if you look at the picture of uh, this, uh, this data from the model organism, these gene drives have been designed for different different targets, like different different target genes, uh, yellow, RPO35, or, or double six, under different uh, genetic con components, like different promoters to express your Cas9 or guide one or multiple guide RNAs. So there is a lot of variation in the homing efficiency. It's going from like minimum 70% to, to 100% of. Um, I, I brought just a few. There are many more that have been uh, designed. Um, so it, it means there is something like it's not always constant. Constant like if you are designing your gene drive for a particular target, and you, you ideally or theoretically you can expect that it's going to be happen 100% if everything works well. But there are multiple factors that that's are involved in limiting the drive propagation. Similarly, uh, another thing. The gene drive uh, demonstrated in the diamond bike mark, and they found that system was working like Cas9 and guide RNA is cutting the target, but but drive is not happening. Uh, there was no homing, uh, uh, significant homing. Um, in Medfly, the recent report is still on the bioarchive. Uh, they found a very good rate of uh, homing uh, in two positions like the white gene and the tra. And uh, double sex we have targeted in this part of endosophila that. that Really sort a good drive around 95 to 94 to 99%. And uh, similarly, if you look at the disease vectors like mosquito, the species from the Anopheles and Eddies, they showed very good uh, drive inheritance, close to 100%, but varied a lot uh, under different genetic conditions where we are, which promoters you are using the gene you are targeting. But if you look at the QLEX system, QLEX mosquito, 
they they have sold some amount of uh, drive, but it's not not that high compared to the other species. So it's it's showing a kind of variation within the within the individual as well as within the species within the population uh, different uh, genera. So it's still so like we still have uh, something lacking, and we need more basic research maybe uh, to our more optimization of this system to make it more efficient, more more useful for the purpose. So here comes the gene drive system uh, in our best our best uh, means the I'm working <laughs> So this, as I said, like we have developed the split drive system. So we need to make two strains, one to express the guide RNA and the other to make express the Cas9. And when we took those two strains and cross them together and bring the Cas9 and guide RNA together, then we will be able to see the drive events. So first we made the guide RNA strain and that guide RNA strain to place in the, since it is, it is going to be a suppression drive, so we are targeting the double sex gene uh, more specifically in the female specific area. So the double sex gene is a gene that plays a major role in somatic differentiation. And uh, if you look at the gene structure, it has two common exons shown in the blue, and one female specific exons and male specific exons. And this gene undergoes alternative splicing to make female specific isoform, to make female uh, specific protein, and one make female is male specific isoforms to in the males. So if, if we target the female specific exon, it will disrupt the function of uh, female protein in females specifically. So it could disrupt the female reproductive function. To target that, we first designed this construct that has a multi-hans from the playing the guide RNA cutting site in the female exon and expressing a guide RNA for that coding uh, region of the female exon. And we also put another uh, component that is a frozen protein marker. Uh, so this protein will uh, express in the whole body and you will be able to track your construct once it's placed in the genome. So using this construct, I uh, did microinjections uh, in the embryo of this test and we got multiple lines, transgenic lines uh, from four independent videos. So, but after placing this construct uh, in place, we found that in heterozygous condition, or with just one copy of this construct, like where one normal wild type copy is there and one your uh, this transgene copy is there, the females are turning sterile, uh, dominant sterile. And remember here, we are not, uh, drive is not happening yet. So one copy, the wild type copy is not getting disrupted. Wild type copy is intact. And one copy of the transgene is there and leading to dominant sterility in the females. But with the exception of one line, we found that for the same construct, one line females are fertile. And, and they are good, like comparable to wild type, though have some reduced uh, fecundity. So um, we thought like why it is happening, the same, everything is same. We have not done any modification in this one. The three are showing dominant sterility and the other line is showing female protein. So we need to do some molecular analysis to confirm like what it, why it is happening. So the thing was like we are targeting the double sex gene and it has two uh, isoforms, it forms two proteins, like one male specific and female specific. So simple idea was to check the splicing events, how it is going. And we did RT-PCR in these uh, all, all lines. And we found that those lines which are dominant sterile were making male specific product in the females. So these heavy tigers female that has one copy of wild type and one transgene, 
instead of using the male splice, uh, female specific uh, site of the splice acceptor, it's going to use the further downstream and using the male splice site. So in that way, it was making a male product, and that male product is interfering with the normal one type uh, female product and doing some um, dis disruption in the further transcription events and leading to the sterility. But when we looked at the one C2 line, the another party line, we found that there was a repetition in the exon number two, like for the exon two, the small exon, it has repetitions. And so it gave us a problem, like why it is happening? So we go for the thing, other thing was to confirm, to confirm that was sequencing. Where we are placing the, our construct, we need to sequence the further downstream and upstream regions to make sure like this exon two is not get duplicated in these lines or anything else happening. We did sequencing for our downstream about six KV region and we found there was no mutation uh, in between these two lines. There were no unique mutations, they were okay. But, and, and same thing was in for the left side, but there were some unique mutations we found in the one C2 line compared to the dominant sterile one. So those mutations could be a reason for, uh, for the repetition of the exam two. Because uh, there are some reports like the intronic mutations could play a role in the trans splicing events, and that, that trans splicing might be not to duplication in this particular stream. And we, we, we did further uh, sequencing, and we know that at least up to one, two KV region, it's, there is no duplication of that uh, small exam. If any duplication, maybe very far. But, but it's that's very rare. So even, even we got these dominant scale lines. So since females are dominant states, it's very hard to maintain line. Always you have to take the males and cross them to wild type to keep your uh, state going. Even though we have one particular strain, we thought to, to make new construct to stop this uh, dominant sterility. And we designed our construct uh, with idea to stop the male splice site use. We thought to, if we place a, uh, if we can place a splice acceptor just after the left homology are uh, maybe if that splice height will be used, it will give uh, uh, some chance of uh, rescue um, to stop the use of male splice site. So we designed the new construct and placing a splice acceptor from uh, muscle myosin we changing. Uh, and along with that, we also put uh, another other components like a JTAG and the C Dagon sequence. C Dagon sequence uh, idea was to to uh, promote the proteolysis of any protein coming from that uh, um, that regions. Uh, so if any novel protein forms, it can get quickly degraded. So it will not interfere with the normal uh, Y-type uh, form of the double sex in heterozygous females. And after injection of this construct, I found again four lines we established. And in this strain, we all females were fertile. So it, Things that our splice cell site worked really well and it rescued the team dominant female stability. So, anyway, there was even with 1C2, so we have to confirm again that it's not happening because of the 1C2 like things, it's uh, really happening because of the splice acceptor. So, we did molecular analysis on these lines and we found that uh, in this case, it's, uh, exon 2 was not residual, but the splice site was being used. So, in that way, it rescued the female stability. The thing was, this splice acceptor is so strong that it is being used in the male as well. So if males are getting homozygous, they are not able to make their own male-specific protein. And that's how homozygous males are also turning instead. So heterozygous males are good. They have no problem. They are very competitive and very fertile. So that's a good thing. 
But we got a problem with the homozygous males. Homozygous males are sterile, so that's a new problem and could be a new thing to work in this direction to make some little bit more other changes to rescue the homozygous male is getting clear. And if you look at the morphology of these only uh, strains, the females that have a dominant hysterically, uh, they're always positive and everything is very normal. And um, in homogenous condition, as expected, they are turned uh, into sex. So that kind of thing. But uh, heavy digest females were uh, normal in appearance, in morphologically, but they are not able to lay eggs. They didn't lay any eggs in the food. But so we thought to dissect them, and we, after dissection, we found that uh, their abdomen were very filled with the developing bodies and developing eggs, but they are not able to lay eggs. So there is a reason could be because um, double sex is also involved in some neuronal function and uh, uh, in reproductive behavior. So that, that could be a reason for that those flies are not laying those eggs but holding them. So once we have our guide in the line, so we need to make a new Cas9 line as well. So we have developed two kinds of Cas9 line. One to express the Cas9 with one new NLS sequence. The NLS sequence helps in the accumulation of Cas9 in the nucleus where all the drive events happen. So we use uh, to develop two types of Cas9 strain, one Cas9 with single NLS and the other Cas9 with two NLS. Along with that, we also did modifications like in case of single NLS Cas9, that was given under promoter, nanos promoter, germ cells especially promoter from Drosophila melanogaster. But here we use the promoter from the Drosophila Suzuki itself, the first promoter. Um, further changes were like VUTR, uh, um, I also use the same UTR from the same uh, promoters. And uh, after injection, we found that these constructs get. Uh, uh, landed at uh, X chromosome because this is a PD-based uh, system. So it's a random in integration in the system uh, genome. And uh, luckily for both uh, constructs, we found line, one line uh, that have integration on the X chromosome. And we tested their activity using our uh, phenotypic lines. The guide RNA strain we have already, that is for white eye or uh, yellow uh, body color and sex liquor gene. So, we use these lines to check their Cas9 activity and to assess notifically, and we found that the line from the melanogaster nanos driven promoter were relatively low in the activity. They didn't show very high, high efficiency activity, but the line from that we made with two NLS and this Uski nanos promoter driven one, they were very high, highly active and so very phenotypic changes when we are crossing them with the phenotypic marker lines, like white or yellow one. So we use these lines to assess the homing efficiency with our both construct. One is the dominant sterile one and the recessive sterile one. So here is the crossing scheme to assess the gene drives event. So we took the female of Cas9 and crossed them with the male fly from the homing strain. So these females, uh, since this Cas9 is uh, present on X chromosome, so that will come later. So um, we cross the homozygous line from uh, Cas9 uh, strain and the heterozygous for the homing strain. And those lines, which are the progeny, which are carrying both copies, the Cas9 and guide RNA together, the females we call them female drive and the male that we call them male drive. And the drive event will happen in these flies, those which are having Cas9 and guide RNA together. So to assess them, 
you have to cross them with a wild type strain. And based on that, uh, the fluorescent marker in returns, we can score the event of drive. So in, in this way, we set the process and score the homing event. With the first Cas9 line that have uh, Cas9 expression with uh, under Milano-Gastro promoter and single NLS, we found the drive was not that great. Uh, it was for fertile strains where females are fertile, uh, the recessive sterile one, sold up to 61 to 58% of drive. But in male drives, the male fly sold up to, with the dominant sterile one where males are fertile, we found up to 56% drive, but for 1C2 fertile strain, it was 71% drive. And with, uh, with uh, the modified line, the spice acceptor one, we are around 65%. But if you look at the drive from the a new const other construct that has two NLS under reducing an oscillometer, they showed really high drive efficiency and in male and female both, they reach up to 94 to 99% drive. And that's not really good. The only thing was with these female drives, the females are uh, showing very reduced fecundity. And that fecundity could be due to the accumulation of uh, maternal deposition of the Cas9 proteins. And they have some um, influence in the productivity. So that could be a reason. But males, male drives are really good and they, they are quite promising. So if you look at their, the drive is, I think, just 70%. So it means we are getting more non-drive fly as well. So you have to check those non-drive flies, like why, why those are non-drive? It's uh, because of the enzyme repair or something that's is happening there. And in this case also, we found a, a few flies. We did not explain 100%, so we found some non-drive flies. So this one, uh, we, we did molecular analysis on those uh, non-drive flies to check if it is happening because of the enzyme or something else. So for those flies, we found that uh, the, because of the low activity of Cas9, the most fly were not showing the cut. So those were very wild type uh, sequence and very low percentage were edited. And from the new construct that we have two NLS1 and switched from producing Cas9, we found some edits uh, at, around the target. Those were repaired to enzyme pathway probably. And uh, you can see there were very big deletions and insertions in that, but we also found some in frame deletions, like three base pair or six base pair deletions. So, in frame deletions could be uh, could lead to the functional protein formation. And if so, these deletions will stop the Cas9 activity in the coming progeny. And if those proteins are functional, it could be a restriction for the inheritance of your drive in the population. To confirm that that these small mutations at our target sites are functional or not. We did the direct uh, uh, mutations to create these uh, mutant lines. For that, we designed the single stranded oligos, and along with the gas line guide, and we injected these oligos in, in wild type strains. And we balanced them with uh, those G0 flies with our one of the homing constant fertile strains. And we scored this much of flies and found that 13 flies were sterile and some flies were fertile. And we sequenced these fertile and sterile fly, and we found that those flies which were sterile having the three base pair deletion and six base pair deletion. So it means, like in case in presence of this is in frame deletions uh, event, those proteins are non-functional. It suggests that our site that we have chosen is really conserved uh, and really functionally constrained. So any mutation in that site will be deleterious for the development. 
so so in, in so this kind of uh, this kind of target would be a good choice for the development of the drives. And there, a picture I'm showing the associated morphology upon three base proteins, and it shows some little bit of deformed OE poster compared to the wild. Further, to, to assess the efficiency of these uh, strain in population suppression, we did mathematical modeling to get an idea like what release ratio would be needed if we plan the experiment at large scale. And for that, uh, we did a multiple release ratio and uh, check the uh, average uh, population extinction from the release ratio varied from 5% to 100%. And we saw the upper graph for both the recessive sterile one and the dominant sterile strain that population could get suppressed uh, within 10 within 10 generations. 10 generations means within a year, you can suppress the whole population, like population at large scale. So we first did for the, to get the idea of the release ratio and we found that one is to four ratio, the one transgene and four wild type uh, are efficient to suppress the population. And the lower graph is showing the uh, population suppression upon release of this uh, ratio, uh, in this ratio, the, your male, transgenic male, and the white guy in the population of 600 flies, the 300 will be male, 300 will be female. It can go extinction in 10, under 10 generations. We also did, and this one, this modeling is for the split drive system. And we also did uh, for a full drive for the considering the same parameter. And we found that the, and the full drive for the single release, it's not for the multiple release. And at low release ratio, all those single release were not even working. So, it, it's a good sign some way to, to limit our, our drive. So it would be work as a self-limiting kind of system. So if any rare release happens, it's not going to cause any problem. And the very same uh, similar kind of system recently came out in BioArchive in Milanogaster. And they have also targeted the double sex genes and uh, but in this case, they have used the multiple guide RNA. And they also found the problem of the dominant sterility. If they are putting their construct there, it leads to the dominant sterility. And they have modeled some, uh, they did some cage uh, experiment with their construct in Milanogaster. And for a population size of about uh, 2,500, and they released in from 3 to 7% in the instant release, they found that their drive was not going up very up as expected. So they release up and they did the release every week. And so at 10 weeks, they, they increase the ratio and come to around 20%. That, that's going to be more or less similar to our um, drive release ratio. And from there, they found the very uh, quick reduction in the population. And um, after after 29 generations, they, they found their, their population got collapsed. So if we look at challenges, so as I saw that um, the drive is varying a lot within and between generation uh, species and, and uh, Venus. So it means like we really need some, uh, though, though these genomatic tools are very precise and very efficient, but still there is something that uh, lacking and we need to work on to get more efficient system. And always there are associated fitness costs with when we are putting these uh, Transgenics in the strain. So to reduce the fitness cost, we also need to work, optimize our gene drive construct system, like using high fidelity Cas9 could be one option to, to reduce any off-target uh, activity of the Cas9. And off-target is a major problem that leads to uh, associated fitness cost. 
So still we need to work on the molecular precision uh, to, to improve our drives. And if you come to the investing test and when it comes to the release, you, you, before really you, you will have to have the population size and uh, the distribution of your uh, paste in the area to, you, to, to get the idea like how much population is there and how they are distributing, what is their signal movements and all. So getting those uh, data would also be a challenge for any, any new paste still see in the um, region. And even if you have everything, when it comes to apply the gene drive, you have to produce a large number of um, insects. So mass rearing and with the dominant sterile cases where female size still they're not going to produce. So you have to cross with the wildlife and getting the protein. It's going to be challenging to, to generate a large number of flies and for the field So still uh, many things need to be done to make the system efficient and more uh, less cost effective. And then I would like to acknowledge my present lab members and uh, the recent past lab members and the collaborators. And this is a picture of our current lab. And I would like to acknowledge the funding agency that has been making this progress. Thank you, everyone. Really impressive work that's going on here on campus. Thank you for sharing it. Um, okay, just to remind everyone who has joined us online, if you would like to ask your question directly, use the raise your hand function. If you want me to read it for you, put it in the chat and we'll open it up to questions. So you showed a slide of different species and the efficiency of the drive. Right. And in some cases, there was no drive, <laughs> and in other cases, it was extreme. Yeah. And, and you managed to go from a drive that wasn't very good to one that was extremely good. So if you look at the papers that you showed us, is this an issue of the species or the gene that's being targeted, or do you think that if people put more time and creativity into it, they can get most insect species to have very high efficiency. You're right. Um, both things are possible. They're, they're, they really need to optimize their system. They need to find the suitable promoter because these these uh, drive events are the cutting and repair is a very expensive temporal thing. So if you are missing that time frame, it may not going to work like as you were expecting. So having a very right promoter, uh, right promoter, and the UTR for their uh, like at which place it, the protein should go, and this kind of system to to improve the drive could make the change in those uh, species as well where we have not seen the drive. So only thing is to need to do more research maybe in that field, and they would be able to get to get more. So when you look at those papers that where it didn't work, when you look at the constructs, they look like they. Took something from the Lanagaster and second someplace else exactly. and didn't really optimize. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the that's the big reason could be a big reason. Because this uh the thing is when we are working with the invasive test or the, uh, the any test, if you don't have much uh, background data like the genomic data or other molecular work on those speed, it's really difficult to start with and to to get uh, construct ready to go. Like it's not one day event, you have to optimize, you have to work a lot. Maybe. 
And yeah, so they really need to work. And I'm sure if they optimize and try with different, different promoters, it, it will work. And also the good thing is maybe uh, trying the multiple uh, analysis sequences that also helps in the optimization of gas mine inside the planes. Right. So that could be a bit good. Yeah, thanks. Um, you had a slide up about the suppression in the um, replacement drives, and I think you're making a point that I've heard before about how the suppression drive is more, you know, it's, bit, it's more difficult to get because it puts a lot of pressure. I mean, I don't know if that's kind of a general statement. I'm not a biologist, but I've been following this, and um, I just wonder if there's like opportunities for more or looking more at simply a replacement, you know, traits like changing the host file. Um, Practice or something, so that they might be more low in that direction. Or if anyone else is looking at that, or they pretty much focus exclusively on improving suppression drives for species that don't aren't like a disease factors. Yeah, no, that that's a good idea. It could be um, to look for such things, but it all then depend on what is your purpose. Like uh, if really like the crop test, like Suzuki, if you are doing modification. It's not going to help uh, that much. I have it like this. So, for well, I, was, I was thinking if you found like a, uh, you know, like a weed that had a fruit or something, and try to shift its dietary preferences off the crop and onto something. Oh, you mean um, instead of trying to insect, try to the crop? Yeah, or no, no, modify the insect, but so that it's it's eating something different other than your. Oh, oh, to your to to change their their requirements. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, Again, I would say like if you have some uh, knowledge, like uh, suppose uh, when when it comes to the food choice, it's going for the olfaction, right? So if if fly is going, like you are putting the strawberry and putting other fruit, which one is you going to choose? So if you know the gene that okay, this gene involved in the selection of this food, you just disturb that gene and it may go to the other food. But again, it will be a problem for that food, so yeah. it's not going to be a good solution, maybe. Uh, I'm curious about if you're thinking about uh, like uh, what happens like when you want to let's say like you release the gene drive and you want to like you decide that it it's not doing what you're supposed to do, that it was supposed to do or goes out of control if there's like safe mechanisms I know besides like natural resistance that's gonna occur due to uh, like mutation yeah that's when it comes to this, yeah, it's uh, we are also considering these things before release, and we have to consider because we don't know what's going to be happen once it released. Natural variants are there that could be a big problem, of course. So that's why we are looking for the LinkedIn self LinkedIn things and the high threshold, like where you you look for the high threshold means the certain ratio or certain amount of the insects should be there to to go uh, to reach the suppression or, or any changes. So. If you have that kind of symptom, you can take the risk. Uh, there will be no problem, in my opinion. So, but yeah, we we it's a very uh, maybe it's not I have that much data to answer that question to be very precise. But if we, people are working, and certainly we will have some data on this uh, state value. So, knowing more population genetics would be more helpful to decide and go forward with the gene drive system. If I can piggyback off of that, like even even if it's all perfected, does, does it 
if it works just as it's supposed to, like what role do you see um, other fields or specialties playing in terms of, here's something of like ecology, right? Because we're talking about kind of like manipulating ecosystem. So, you know, do you see it as like a handoff? And like if the gene drive works as it's supposed to, is that, um, do we just say okay? Or do we like, is that actually then the start of another sort of process that may not actually be your specialty, but in, involves some other specialties. That question uh, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Um, you're right. So if even system is working so well, so this kind of system where we are targeting the female suppression gene, female reproductive gene. So this population is going to collapse on its own, first one thing, if everything works well. So it, it will extinct the system. Even uh, and if you are thinking that it's not going to extend, so this kind of system would be more good for the invasive species, and like like the spotted in Drosophila is invasive to United States, and it's just uh, 15 years now, so it's not uh, that much time. Even though it has established itself, but if we apply the, this kind of system before they become secondary or dependency for the other species in your in your area in, in new place clean them before and that could be better to start early than waiting and looking for something else. So yeah, but of course if it comes to the ecologist things, that's a very different thing to discuss and to work on, of course. Hey, I think we're at time. So uh did you actually have um, okay, we'll just that directly. Uh, I want to thank everyone for coming and remind you that next week we do not have uh, well, we have a small break, and the week after that we'll be in person with Zach Bullock here. We'll see you in two weeks. Thank you.